0: Ah, Shabbat Shalom, ah, Shabbat Shalom, free Shabbos, hello everybody, we are on uh, Parsha Naso, the longest Parsha in the Torah, which is the uh, longest, not so much because of the multiple stories that take place, or multiple halachas, but rather by the repetition, so we have the, uh, the uh, inauguration of the Mishkan, of which we have 12 sets of uh, sacrifices that are offered, which are literally 12 repetitions of the exact same psukim which is very, very lengthy, and that's what takes up the bulk of the Parsha, making it the longest single Parsha. There longer, are longer Parshas when we have double Parshas. But I thought what we'll do tonight is I'll just break down the Parsha into a few, just understand how the structure of the Parsha works, and then have a, a few nice insights into it. So the beginning of the Parsha picks up from where we ended off last week. So last week we uh, did a census, initially went the census of the, the 12 tribes, Everyone thinks it's interesting. We talk about the 12 tribes. It's not entirely clear what you mean by 12 tribes because there weren't 12 tribes. There were 13 tribes um, because Levi is never counted as a tribe when we talk about tribes because uh, you have the 12, excuse me, I'm just going to sneeze. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. So, the, um, so there are 12 sons to, uh, to, ya- to Yaakov. There were t- 12 sons. Yosef becomes two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. So when we talk about tribes, there's never a tribe of Yosef. It's always Ephraim and Manasseh. It takes us up to 13. So where do we get 12 from? It's because the tribe of Levi never takes the status of being a real tribe. Because the tribe of Levi sort of uh, falls away because it doesn't inherit land, doesn't go out to the army. So we do the census of the first 12 tribes. Then we start talking about the census of the three families of Kohanim, which are the Kahat, Marie, and Gerishon. They do them. Then we do, uh, the, then, then they would, did another census of the Leviim, but this was not a sense of how many Leviim there were, but rather Helmin, the sense of how many Leviim would be involved in schlepping the Mishkan. And so it was only Leviim from age 30 to 50. And we started last week's parasha with one of the families. And this week's Pasha we go into the, the roles of Gerishon and Marri, which are the two other families. After that, just before we start setting up the Mishkan, all the impure people in the Mishkan get sent away. So, those are people who have some emissions of the like and they have to go outside of the Machaneh, so they shouldn't uh, Im, uh, desecrate the, 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 uh, the, the, the Mishkan. The next section talks about what's called Gezel Hager. So, it's an interesting uh, halach that comes up. It talks if you've stolen money from someone, or rip them off and you have to obligate and Allah obligated to pay them so you have to pay them back whatever you stole it says so the, the the pasuk says but if the person doesn't have any relatives so you give it to the kohanim so the gemara rashi asks of this what do you mean that doesn't have any relatives Is there such a thing as a jew who doesn't have any relatives not possible that there's not a distant cousin somewhere else so it says this is referring to a somebody who converts to judaism since when you convert, you sever all your familial relationships from beforehand and you become a completely newborn individual. So this has halachic ramifications that technically speaking, a Kohen would be permitted to marry a relative, a sibling even, because they are not halachically related to the, their blood relatives beforehand. But therefore, they have no halachic inheritors. I mean, children, they have afters, but if a single Kohen, a single convert... Converts convert, so they have no relatives. So if uh, someone stole from a, from a convert without any relatives, you'd have to give it to the Quran. The next section goes into the laws of the sota. The sota is a woman who has been suspected of adultery and uh, a whole process that takes place which largely humiliates her, but with uh, an intent to ascertain whether she is in fact innocent of the accused or guilty. Next section is talking about a Nazir, which is an individual man or woman that take on an oath to refrain from, one, grapes and wines and wine products. Two, from contact, coming in contact with the dead. And three, from they don't allow to touch their hair, not have any haircuts or the like. Most famous Nazir is Samson, Shimshon. The second most famous Nazir is Samuel the prophet. So Samuel was also a Nazir. Okay, then we go into Birkat Kornim, comes from this week's Parsha, seemingly completely unconnected to uh, the things that came before it. And then finally, the bulk of the Parsha is these 12 princes, as they... um, march through the Mishkan and give their sacrifices. So I thought, let's go through a few ideas. One of the things I wanted to focus on is the, the Kohanic blessing, because it's something that we, we all know very well, whether it be through giving children or being given a bracha every Friday night, but uh, or from the Quran. but we say it every morning in Shacharit. And so what is it all about? So before we get to there, let's just go through a, a couple of interesting ideas. Um, let's just talk a little bit about this uh, Sotah. So, a, the Sota is, a, is, is a, it's, a, it's a real tragic story that takes place, and it's a man who and a woman who clearly the relationship what the prerequisites would be that a man is su- suspicious of his wife, she's flirting with a particular individual, so he goes to her with witnesses and says, "I, I see you with a guy, stay away from me, I don't want you to have anything to do with him." And he does this with witnesses, and she doesn't listen, and she's caught. In a precarious situation so she's walking out of a hotel room and the guy that she's been accused of being with is behind it so we don't know what happened in the hotel room and so they have to go through this whole process to ascertain her innocence and guilt or guilt so one of the processes is you would take they would write the whole portion of the sotah on a parchment and they would dissolve it they would dissolve the ink into water now hashem's name in it so it dissolves the name of hashem as we know we're not allowed to raise the name of hashem but they would dissolve the name of hashem in the water and she would drink the water so there's a great medrash, and they brought over here oh let's see oh what's happening here i'm sick here we go so it says as follows it says how great is shalom that Akash Baruch reminded us to raise his great name in order to bring shalom between man and his wife. That why does Hashem allow his name to be raised? Never else do we see that the name of Hashem is erased. So He it says it's allowed to be raised here in the hope that by drinking it will bring shalom by it. So it's an interesting story. It's told with Rabbi Meir. This is Rabbi Meir used to give a drosha every shul in Friday and in There was a woman who came to hear his drosha. And one evening the drosha ended late. By the time she came okay. home. The candles had already gone out, so Friday night candles were always, the whole mitzvah of candles on a Friday night were there so that there should be light at home, that there should be shalom bayit. She comes home, she sat listening to the shir of Rabbi Meir, and uh, it was so long that the candles went out, so shalom bait. So her husband's furious with her, and she says, well, where have you been? She says, she has it at the drosha, she says, you're not allowed to come back, I won't let you into the house until you go spit in Rabbi Meir's face. So he throws out the house. He goes, um, so the Medrash here says that Eliyahu appeared to Rabbi Meir. I think and, uh, the source I saw in the original said that uh, Rabbi Meir just sort of worked it out. So says this, and tells Rabbi Meir that, you know, your long drawsh caused cause that woman to get in a lot of trouble. So he went into the shul. And the woman comes into the Beit Medrash, And he goes over to her and says, you know, I've got this terrible eye infection. Maybe you'll spit in my eye. And so she... Uh, you know, it says, what are you talking about? He says, just spit in my eye seven times. It'll go away. And you can go and tell your husband that you, uh, you, were, you only told me you spit once in his eye and I spat seven times in his eye. So the Talmudim see this and say, Rebbe, how can you allow yourself to be spat in the face by this woman? So he answers, he says, should the honor of Meir not be greater than the honor of Hashem? If Hashem was prepared to have His name erased in order to be in Shalom between a man and his wife. I shouldn't allow myself uh, to do the same. That's a phenomenal statement. I mean, whether the story is true, anecdotal, I think the sensitivity of Chazal, that the idea that you say, listen, the, the, that there were, that men were prepared to humble themselves, or at least we'd look at this in such a way that to allow you know, Shalom Bayit, we should be, be prepared to humiliate ourselves in order to bring Shalom Bayit for other people. So that's an interesting uh, it's a, it's a cute story I thought I'd I would uh, say. Alright. Um, okay. So the um the the next story after after the Sota is the nazir. So the nazir is a story of the guy who refrains from drinking uh, drinking wine or grape juice or anything of the like. And uh, this comes immediately after the, the sutta. So Chazal say, like, why on earth does the sutta come immediately after the Nazir? Uh, the, the Nazir come immediately after sutta? So it says that this, when you're walking past the, uh, the, the sutta and you see this woman being disgraced in public and you see her being humiliated, a person would see that and would say, listen, I've got to stay away from one. I don't want myself to be uh, seduced or to get involved with an, an illicit relationship. So I'm going to become a Nazir. And that's the connection between the two. Now, Chazal do this quite often in the Torah. Um, they give an enormous amount of um, respect to the audience in thinking that when they see the downfall of others, they will learn a lesson from it. You know, it's like we, we say like you, you, we should learn from all our mistakes. So g- great people learn from their, their mistakes, but super people learn from other people's mistakes. Like why should I wait for me to stumble before I learn to, not, you know, to, to, to correct my way? What a way if you could learn from other people's mistakes. Now, look at this Nazir. So this Nazir is going down. Now, most of us, when you see some form of corruption taking place or you see some, uh, some social corruption taking place, people behaved really inappropriately. So you look at it and most of us would look at that and say, you know, that would never happen to me. You know, I would never be seduced. So, A man's had an affair, a woman's had an affair, they've cheated on the income tax, they've, they've done terrible things, they've, uh, they've had a horrible situation. And most of us would say, ah, that would never happen to me. In fact, there's a fascinating study in the world of psychology of a, a phenomenon called victim blaming. So I'm sure we've all heard of victim blaming. So the whole rationale behind victim blaming so, for example, if a uh, nebuch, if a woman is uh, is uh, is abused, if a woman's raped, so people say, well, what was she wearing, you know, when she was raped, or why was she in that area by herself late at night, you know, she shouldn't have been there, and it's called <coughs> it's called victim blaming. Now, why do we victim blame? Because <coughs> we want to say that bad things can only. Happen to people if they are somehow responsible for it and since that would I would never do those I would never dress like that. I would never go to those places And so therefore I'm safe. These things will never happen to me That's how most of us think and that's why anytime You know if you look at this whole thing that's taking place in America It's terrible thing So those who are so you got two groups of people in the world at the moment You got those who say you know Black Lives Matter, and those who say, you know, police lives also matter, you know, and whatever, without without waging in on that war. But the idea that people who want to go, uh, uh, that say, the guy was a criminal who was resisting arrest, and that's why this happened, whatever the case might be, it's like, you can't blame the victim all the time. You've got to learn the lesson. And the lesson is not that would never happen to me because I would never do those things, but rather, hold on, if that can happen to that person, it can happen to me as well. And that's the whole story of the Sotah. The Nazir walks past and says, this is a, a, a woman and a man who, whatever reason, they, they, they were trapped by their desires. I could also be trapped by my desires. One could cause me to be trapped. I don't want to get trapped. So what do I need to do to make sure that I don't get trapped? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a Nazir. It's a person who's very realistic with their limitations and their ability and, and their failures and their flaws and their, and their shortcomings rather than a person who feels they are infallible so it's, it's it's something that every time you see you know the the many Hasidic stories told about this idea that you know the saw somebody who kid admitting a virus it says, what does this say about me and that's what it should be when you see some guy fall in public you should be saying not well do you see how that person took a fall but rather how will i make sure that i won't fall similarly and that's what the story of the nazir is um, at the end of the nazirut, so he goes for thirty days. That's the minimum time of nazirut, but it could go for longer. Shimshon was a nazir for his whole life, and it says at the end of the period, he has to bring some sacrifices. And one of the sacrifices he has to bring is a sin offering. So the comment you say, hold on a second. What's he bringing a sin? a sin offering? By definition, is an offering that people bring because they committed an nevirah, they did a sin. So what sin did this nazir did? He didn't drink wine for thirty days. He didn't contaminate. So why, why is he bringing a sin offering? So you have two completely opposite reasons for bringing this and I think each of them have a, quite a unique perspective. So you have the Ramban. Ramban says, you know, for the last 30 days, this individual has elevated himself to a form of purity. And now he's uh, he's going back to his mundane existence. He's giving up that life of sanctity to going back to a life, life of, mon, mon, of the mundane. And that's the sin. It's like... I don't know if you feel this. I, I feel like by the end of Yom Kippur, you know, you feel elevated, but where as soon as you start eating, you lose it. You, you, not. It's not. You're not doing an avera, so to speak, but you've just gone from you know 25 hours of feeling really, you've connected, you, 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 you holier, so you know, and then, then an hour later, you, you, you eating, and it's as if nothing ever happened. It's just this downfall. And according to the Ramban, that is what the Chatat uh, the is that you've gone from this, this lofty level to this lower level. The Gemara, interestingly, says the complete opposite. It says, Baruch Hu has brought a world with enormous amounts of pleasure in it. And our role in, within this world is to benefit and appreciate that pleasure within, uh, within not uh, within reason, but within halachic boundaries. So wine is there to be enjoyed. Food is there to be enjoyed. Not to be overindulged. So, we, so food is there to be enjoyed. But we're kosher. Wine to be enjoyed, but it's to be within a, you know, specific parameters. Not to overindulge. And what has this Nazir done? He's coming and, you know, and cut himself off from the pleasures of the world. So that's a problem. You're not supposed to cut yourself off from the pleasures of the world. Now, the reality is, is that the Nazir, in many ways, is the alcoholic of the Torah is the individual who says, me around alcohol is not a good thing. If bad things happen, I'm around alcohol. So if a person has that certain uh, proclivity, so the only way they can deal with it is be completely abstinent. But you can never look at abstinence as an ideal. Abstinence cannot be an ideal. So for example, if you, if you are a, ga- a gambling addict, so you, can't, you cannot ever go to the casino. It's just not going to be good for you. Now, is gambling uh objectively evil no in judaism we do not believe that gambling is object it's not uh, we're not like the church gambling has its issues but it's not like the church and within certain uh within certain boundaries it's permissible to gamble so you shouldn't stay away from it but uh if, if you are compulsive so you have to stay then you got to stay away from it but you but there's a failure within you they're forcing you to abstain that you're denying yourself the pleasures of the world through abstinence and that is not an ideal so within the, within the Catholic world and within certain parts of the Orthodox, the uh, Christian Orthodox world, the idea of abandoning the pleasures of the world is seen as an ideal. Whether it be from speaking, whether it be from rela- physical relationships, whether it be from uh, wine and the like, um, these are things that are not our Jewish ideals. To refrain from pleasures of the world is considered a sin. And that's why the Nazir, at the end of his time of a Nazir, he has to bring a sin offering. All right, I'm going to spend the rest of the time going on the Birkat Korneum because I figured this is something that we often say, but I'm not always certain that we understand what it means. So I saw a couple of very uh, interesting perspectives. So first, let's go with Rashi. So Rashi, and you know, Rashi, the Saforno, the, the Rashbam, a lot of the commentaries take the same line of approach. And they say that at least the first bracha, Yivarecha ha HaShem is a pure physical bracha. So it says, so this is Rashi. The Lord bless you that your property may increase. It is a pure that you should financial gain. And should, uh, should protect you. So what does protect you mean? So Rashi says that no robber should come upon you and take away your property. For a human being who gives a present to his servant cannot guard him against it, against everybody. If a band of robbers attack him and take it away, what pleasure can he then derive from this present? The Holy One bless me, however, both gives and guards against everybody. So the whole idea is, we want Hashem to give you a bracha that is a guarded bracha. So it's, it's, a, it's a pure physical bracha and you should have a lot of wealth. That's, that's what it is, financial wealth, and it should stay with you. So wealth in and of itself, uh, you know, money can come and money can go, but Hashem should give you a bracha that it should come and not go. But the Emek davar. so this is an it's so he takes it slightly differently, and I think the way he's he looks at the whole bracha, I think is quite unique. He says, May bless you." Included is whatever is appropriate for each person to be blessed. Meaning, what is a, a bracha? Money is not a bracha. Money can be a bracha, but money, is, in and of itself, is not necessarily a bracha. So it says, they should not appear before the Lord empty. This is when it says, when you go up to the vitamin, that you shouldn't go up to Raykam, According to the blessing, the Lord, that the Lord has given. So it says, Ko Hashem, Barakha Hashem, and That's what Hashem, whatever Hashem blesses with you, that's what you should come. The blessing will be according to the blessing that he was blessed with until then. For one who deals in Torah, in his study, it is in his study. So what's your bracha? Well, it depends what you value. If you're a person who values wisdom, so the Yivarechachah, is Hashem will give you wisdom. If you value commerce, he deals in commerce and his merchandise. If you value money, so the bracha is money. So, what is your bracha? Well, whatever you want the bracha to be is whatever you value, which is an interesting idea. That you know, you have to be careful what ex- what exactly are the things that we value. So it says, for one, uh, so uh, thus, including this general blessing, may Hashem bless you an additional blessing for each person about what he has. So it says, and protect you. For every blessing requires protection, so it does not become an obstacle, God forbid. So, unlike Rashi, where Rashi said, bless you with money and that you should keep the money, he adds that you should bless you, but also bless you with the ability to appreciate the gift, which is different. So, to have the gift, but not have the tools to appreciate the gift, is no longer gift. So, if you win the lotto, but you don't know how to appreciate money and to use it wisely. So money can become a terrible curse. So it says a master of Torah, needs protection from pride, from being a chilul la and the like. And similarly that he knows to forget his learning. And a property owner needs protection that his wealth not be to his detriment. Like Korach and Navot, the, the, Israel, the Israelites and the like. So Korach was an individual who used his power to try Get everyone to rebel against Moshe. Navot. Um, so Navot is an individual who comes up in Sefer Shmuel, and he is an he is a person who was married. So you get a bonus point if you know his, his wife's name was Avigail, and Navot uh, was very disrespectful and rude. David Amelech Melech wasn't the Melech at that point in time, but had troops that were desperately hungry, and he approached Navot, who was a wealthy individual who had lots of. Uh, resources, and Navot refused to allow him to benefit from his fields. So that's where Navot is. So you see, people with wealth, but they don't know how to use their wealth. So the Yishmarecha is that Hashem should give you the wisdom to use that which He gave you the bracha from. So what is the bracha? So when, when, when the Kohanim give us the blessing, or we bless our children, or we get blessed, is that we should be blessed in the things that we will find blessed, that we, that we really, truly want. But Hashem should also give us the wisdom to be able to use those things in a way that the blessings can be utilized and exploited to the best rather than becoming our own downforce. And similarly, protection from theft and loss. Yeah, absolutely. If that's what you value, then the protection. Likewise, for everything, there's need of blessing, protection for whatever causes trouble is requested. Okay, so that's bracha number one. The second one. Ya'er Hashem Ya'er, Hashem should light up His face to you and give you chayin. So it says, the netziv. Hashem calls His countenance, His, His, His light. This means that everyone will see that Hashem shines His countenance upon you and that your success is not due to luck. The implication of His countenance is His divine providence. Meaning, the first bracha is to get that which you want. The second bracha is to have that recognized as a legit. So, if you, so an individual who wins the lotto doesn't quite walk into the first class lounge with the same level of self respect as an individual who's worked their, their fingers to the bone to get there. Just because you have achieved greatness is not that you're going to achieve respect or, or that your, your, your greatness will be appreciated by others. So the Ereshim is that people should be able to see that this greatness is not just due to fluke, but rather is that Hashem has been kind to you. So when Hashem accepts our prayer and supplication, it's called favor. So now what's going to happen is v'yichuneka is that people will see you as an individual who's worthy not only of being blessed by Hashem, but being able to give blessing. So he says as follows, when Hashem accepts our prayer and supplication, it is called Khain. After Hashem shines His countenance upon you, and everyone sees that you are beloved by Hashem, people will understandly ask you to pray for them, and therefore the Torah mentions blessing of Hashem's favor. In juxtaposition to this, your prayers for others will also be accepted. So you become no longer see. Barachah number one is that you will get what you want. Barachah number two is that that will be a catalyst to allow you to do things. That is not about. Getting the wealth so you can have lots of nice things. It's getting the wealth in bracha one, having the wisdom to deal with the wealth as well. And then bracha two, to be able to use that wisdom that allowed you to afford that wealth, that has allowed you to achieve that which achieved, to make other people's lives better. Through tefillah being one way, and that's the way it says vichuneka. But the idea being is that all the blessings you get in one have to be to help everybody else in blessing two. It can't be just that Hashem gave you you great wisdom. Now go sit on a mountain and and ponder Hashem's great wisdom. No. The wisdom is all there. That that Hashem should give you, you know, show everybody that you got this great gift. And allow you to yichuneka, that your chain will shower upon them as well. So it's, it's the bracha that has to be given. And the final is, So the final is that you give you peace. So he says, after all the blessings, he blesses with the instrument to hold them all. With no peace, there can be no blessing. So now there's a much broader bracha. The so bracha, number one, is for you. Number two is for you to help others. Number three is to create an environment that allows bracha to exist. So if you've got all the brachas of one, and there are lots of people that you want to help, but the environment is not one that would facilitate help. There is conflict of all forms. So if there's interpersonal conflict. So I realize that Hashem has given me a great gift to uh to teach. And I really want to teach. But people don't want to come and learn. Because of they, they're too busy. They got uh they got too many uh they, their lives are in turmoil. So then then nothing can happen. You can have all the good you can have the you know the the, the best educator yeah, who's desperately trying to you know to to educate but there's no audience there's no environment because then because people are too busy you know working 95 during the day by the time they get home at night they're exhausted they can't learn so there's no shalom there so shalom doesn't mean absence of war it means there's shlemut. there's a certain completeness there's a certain ability that there's uh, that there's uh, there's an environment that allows blessing to take hold and that's uh, the that's the way the natsiv understands this concept of shalom so it's it, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating insight to these brachas is that we are not when you when you give your children a blessing or you, you according give us a blessing it's not that they are giving us blessings that here it's like here's a hundred bucks go go enjoy it it's here we're going to give you a gift use that gift to help others and let hashem create the world in such a way that those blessings have a, have a foothold to be able to take, to, ta- uh, you know, to take effect in the world. And that's what the, um, that's what the idea of the bracha is. All right, I thought I prepared a lot more material than this, but uh, either I spoke very quickly or I didn't prepare enough material. But uh, I've given you quite a lot of uh, different ideas. So just to run through them, one, you talked about the Shalom Bayit and Rabbi Meir being prepared to have his face spat on to Shalom Bayit. We spoke about the Nazir being able to learn from the mistakes of others, holiness could either be from refraining from uh, the things that we find challenging or that when we refrain from the world, it is a sin in of itself because the things in the world, they are there to be benefited from. And then we uh, did all these blessings of what the Birka Koanim is, is to not only to appreciate the blessing and to be able to use the blessing to help others, but ultimately to ask that Hashem should create peace in the world so that we should uh, be able to utilize those blessings.